coming up in this episode of Finding Common Ground. You know, I wouldn't be very good at it if you're worried about all the bad stuff that can happen, because there's plenty of it. And those of us here sitting on our butts, like me, sometimes you think we don't always value the freedom that we have, or we take it for granted. Many times, your dad and I would sit around and go, I don't know. Yeah, I know about that one. I don't know about that one. I don't know about that one. It was always, you work hard, you're accountable for your actions, and just be a good person. That's it. There are two sides to every coin. How do we deal with racial issues when they affect relationships? Finding common ground on all those issues that we come against. There's black and there's white. And I think as Christians, we have to learn how to get together because we're not in heaven. I've met more interesting people just by God just bringing them in. Republicans and Democrats. But a lot of times when it comes to race and it comes to culture and it comes to perception, even as Christians, we don't always understand. We look at it through our lenses. There's Bill. I grew up in a suburb of Cleveland called Parma. Uh, Any black the, people in Parma? There was not one. Not one black person, not Bill? Not one. Come not on, Bill, one. you got to have one, a nope. token black person, a token. And there's Odell. I grew up in Charleston, South Carolina, public housing, single mom, divorced single mom with four kids, and I came up through segregation and all that kind of stuff. If a black person drove through the town, the police would stop and escort them out. Bill and Odell are finding common ground. A part of what we have to do is listen to each other, find the common ground, and question, not questioning you like you're on a witness stand, but questioning you for a better understanding. Uh, dear Heavenly Father, just uh, thank you for family. Uh, you, you've blessed me with a very large family in Parma. Uh, I'm the oldest of eight, as you know, and you gave me 66 first cousins within walking distance. What a great experience. Uh, I treasure that, and uh, it's a shame people can't experience something like that in their lifetime. Uh, Lord, uh, thank you for Philip, for his service to our country. Uh, thank you for his family. Watch over his dad. Uh, Philip's mom passed away a few years ago from cancer. We ask for blessings on the family. Uh, and uh, keep Philip safe as he travels about in his new career uh, working for American. Amen. Father God, we come to you today in the precious name of Jesus Christ. We just say thank you for family. Thank you for family. Thank you for loved ones. And understand that family doesn't always get along the way they should, but we still love each other. So God, continue to help us be the next generation to help lead and guide our families. Because it's just a matter of time when we go from the kid, the child, the grandkid on grandma's porch to now we are the figure in the family that people come and ask for advice. And let us give good advice, God. In those situations where generations got crossed up, let's not take that misunderstanding from one generation to the next generation, God. God, allow us to let it stop with us. In Jesus' name we pray and believe. Amen. 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 Philip, welcome to the podcast. It's great to be here, gentlemen. Thank you for having me. Yeah, let me do a little, little plug for Philip. Philip has his own podcast. Uh, and, uh, it's called ready room, right? Uh, the ready room podcast, ready room yes. podcast. And it's on all the uh, platforms. It is. It is. Oh, uh, that's great. I've listened to a couple and they're terrific Thanks. folks. It's uh, it's an F 18 pilot calling in friends and family that, uh, are like aviation. And there's some great stories. I, one of them I've got to share with you. Odell was the real hunt for red October. And he had a, he wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. The real hunt for red October 
You have your nephew, Philip, here from Perma. Now, now Philip, I just have to ask you a question because all the listeners, especially our thousands of Black listeners, want to know one question, Philip, just one question. Were there any Black people in Parma, Philip? So when I grew up, when I grew up, yeah, there were. So I'm a couple years younger than Bill, not not much younger. Uh, What are we? I'm 72. I'm 40. So there's a little split. Yeah, a couple generations. So there's a couple years. And yeah, there were. There were. Actually, it was a pretty pretty good crowd. Uh, the, the two high schools I got a chance to go to, it was a pretty good mix. So for our national and international audience, Bill, how many countries are we in right now? We're in 20 countries and 42 states. So for all our audience in 42 states and 20 countries, you can all exhale. There are black people in <laughs> <Harvard> now. <laughs> no, there's only two. <laughs> there are two black people in Parma now. Look out, they're coming in. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, we're going to get the neighborhood, huh? Yeah. There goes the neighborhood, huh? <laughs> I don't know. You looked at some of our houses, you wouldn't be. Our houses were. With that many kids running around, we yeah. didn't maintenance of a house was a priority. <laughs> so, Philip, let me let me ask you a question. We're going to do something different this time. Normally, we ask people how you find common ground at the end. We're going to ask you up front because you can build your story around that. And uh, go ahead. How do you find common ground? So common ground and this first off, what you guys are doing here is really cool. So big fan. I, I think a lot of people can learn from this example that you two are doing. Uh you know, two different colored people talking about the same thing, different opinions, different views. And then still you can have a beer, you know, just relax, you know, and you're still getting along afterwards. So that's uh, I think you guys are setting the tone here and I think it's really cool. So common ground. And as, as I've listened to the different episodes y'all have done and, and it's been at the end, I was thinking about it. The fact that there was ever, or even the thought that there was ever uncommon ground, meaning differences, people should be treated differently you're better than some group of people for any reason at all. That idea was never, ever introduced to me or my family at all. So you think that was your mom or your dad or both combination. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, just like uh, bill here. So on my dad's side, he's one of nine. Mm-hmm. Uh, my mom's one of four Irish, German and Slovak background, a little bit of mix, uh, same suburb, just down the street from where bill grew up. But there was six kids in our family, three and three. I was number two. And there was never even a conversation that someone who had a different skin color came from a different country, was a different religion or anything else. There was never a conversation about any differences between those people. Mm. So I got to see it firsthand. You know, you follow your parents lead because you're taught, you know, I'm taught to be a Browns fan. I'll be a Browns fan till the day I die. Same thing, you know, tribe as well. Um, We'd go to work. So, and no doubt, I'll give a little perspective. Uh, so, Bill's uncle, my grandpa, uh, started a company called Lakefront Lines. It was a bus company back in Cleveland. This was in the, I think, 60s or early 70s. And then started off with him just driving a shuttle to and from the airport to hotels, charging a few bucks, and growed it up to be a pretty successful bus company. At one time, they had over 100 employees. So, when we were little kids, there's six of us running around. You know, it was, it was pretty tough for my mom to keep the train on the tracks with all six of us. So some of us would go to work with dad and just hang out in the office, you know, so we would see our dad and our uncles 
and the other members in the family interact with the employees. Right. So everybody in the company, there were Hispanic, there were black, there were white. You could tell the Irish guys, you know, cause I always had red hair, you know, it was just, <laughs> and the first interactions I saw as a kid between my dad and anybody that didn't look just like my dad, there was no difference. There was no change in demeanor. There was no, it was, Oh, that's, that's Odell over there. Dad's talking to Odell. And, and then I'm like, Hey dad, who's that? And I go, that's Odell. He's the chief mechanic on these buses or that's Mike. He's the other chief mechanic or Hey, that's Jim. He's the driver. And maybe Jimmy is Hispanic. So we saw firsthand what, how our dad carried himself, you know, with his employees of people that look different than what we looked like. I was like, Oh, okay. Well, dad's, you know, he's just totally the same. There's no, there's no big deal. There's no consideration. There was never even a conversation about it. Uh, and I remember asking him when we got home one day, and this is one of those fleeting memories when you're a kid was, Hey, where does, why does Odell look different than, you know, Bill? Oh, he comes from a different family, different part of the world. That's it. That's it. There, there's no, like the word race. I, I didn't know what it was. We had a Filipino kid in my kindergarten class. I thought he was black first, you know, and you know, <laughs> I'm like, and we actually still keep in touch to this day. Um, so the common ground for me was the fact that we never introduced anything other than common ground. It was always, you work hard, you're accountable for your actions and just be a good person. That's it. You don't treat anybody any differently. You're not any better than anybody nope. else. Nope. Put your shoes on the same way. And this is back in the day when you could, you know, discipline was one thing, but if I acted up at one of my buddy's house, it was okay for me to get a licking from my buddy's dad and vice versa. Yeah. And that was okay. And that was when my dad would drop us off. Hey, he would tell the, the other parents, Hey, you could beat the crap out of him if he's acting <laughs> up, go ahead. And I was like, you know, now they go to jail. Yeah, no. So, so no, that, that, uh, I hope that answers the question, but it was something that was never introduced to me was, well, let me, let me there put was a some, difference. some perspective on that. You know, Odell, you talk about grandma's porch and, you know, grandpa's porch or whatever. Uh, now you didn't know your grandparents that well because you were two when grandpa. Well, so I he uh, in second grade, second grade, uh, grandpa Goble, your uncle. Yeah. Oh, he died. So I remember fishing trips, hunting Hunt trips, trips, you know, things like that, hanging around grandma's yeah. house. And Aunt Mary, you got to know quite a bit because yeah. she she lived much longer. Yes. <clears throat> well, and and th please don't take this disparity. The reason why I shared a story is because my your dad Mikey and your mom had uh, changed. Uh, some of the reflections that your grandpa had, because mm -hmm. I knew your grandpa really well. And he had, and this is going to be sound harsh, so bear with me. But the reason why I share this story is, um, folks, you can stop these things by by having something that, that Philip went through with his parents, and they stopped it. Because I know your dad and your mom had to hear it, because I heard it. Your, our grandpa, my, your grandpa and my Uncle Bob was anti-Semitic. Big time, big time. I mean, if you brought up the word Jew or they were Jewish, he would take off on stuff. And I, I was, I was young at the time, but you know, I, I didn't know any Jews, so I didn't know any better. But it's interesting that that generation, it, it stopped with your dad, and you never got that, which is oh my gosh, that makes me feel so good because I was going to ask Michael, my, your dad, my cousin, how do you feel about Jews? Because we, you just were here when we had the rabbi on. Mm -hmm. 
uh, I, I just recently, since I went to Israel, started making good friends with Jewish people. And, and now I, I just hang out with them. They're just fun to be with. Uh, man, the stereotypes are not true. Uh, they are just so much fun. And um, so, I, but I wasn't taught to hate a Jew. Okay. Um, but some people are. So I digress. The reason I want to share that story is because it had so much impact on me that you said what you just said about everything was common ground. There was no difference. You are blessed, my friend. You are blessed. That no, that generation much. stopped. Very, it. very much. Uh, just for the audience who's listening, audience, our good friend Philip shows up and we are talking and Philip says, Odell, I have a question for you. I was like, <laughs> I have a bone to pick with you. He said, you don't look as good as I thought you would look. And I'm like, well, Philip, I'm so sorry I disappointed you. I will make sure that I put on my hat. But Philip is sitting there, a good looking guy, young guy with a Kango hat on, cool guy, fly boy, meaning that He's a pilot. So I just want to hear about Philip. I'm, I'm, I'm a Philip fan now because anybody who comes on the show and say, Odell, you're not as good looking as you say you are. You are an imposter. Philip, I'll look better the next time. So. Okay. I, please, please. It's, All right. Hey, Odell, it's the lighting in your room. It's got to be the it's lighting. It's the lighting. <laughs> no, I saw the picture like the, on the wall over here. You, I mean, there's you're on the wall over here and you got a nice looking hat on. I'm like, Odell's got some style. Yeah, oh, yeah, he's got style. I've seen him wear is that orange shirt and all that stuff. I said, holy cow, he's going hunting. And Odell, you're, you're missing out because I brought some uh, some chocolates from Italy Uh-oh. just for you guys. Uh-oh. But uh, no, Dory, Dory stole them. I'm not missing out. I will be over later and grab some of it. <laughs> but Philip, you know, it's interesting. I just finished doing a book on a young man with a young man, writing a book for a young man. People know I'm a published author named uh, Jamel Herring. He is a ex-Marine. Well, not ex-Marine because once Marine, always a Marine. And he's a world boxing champion. And he shares some of the stories about boot camp and Marines. And I think you are a Marine also. Correct. Can you share yeah. some of those stories with oh, gosh. me? Uh, so boot camp for me. So I, I was an officer in the Marine Corps, got out a little over a year ago. Uh, I was lucky enough to fly F-18s. So whoa, 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 wait a minute. Wait a minute. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You said that like you asked for a cup of coffee. Bill, help me, Bill, because <laughs> if we're going to miss it. I mean, how do you go from permit of flying f-18s i i don't know much but well let me just like a billion dollars well let me tell you not only this guy was out of the six kids he was the one that you didn't think was going to make it to seven years old because you're going to kill him he was in so much trouble all the time i remember one time we went we were going with michael uh his dad and our family we were going someplace and he was acting up or something and they left him for for like a day or two Yep. Just left him at the house alone. And he Not was like, little. He was little at like the time. The movie, like the movie Home Alone on Christmas. Was, that I look at yeah, it. but it was on purpose. It was on, <laughs> it was on purpose. It wasn't. Uh, it wasn't an accident. And Odell, like, I mean, that, that happened one time. My dad, and this is, gosh, there's so many stories. He told me to put my socks on. And so there's six of us and we're going to Joggle Lake. It was a yep. little amusement park near Cleveland. We're going to Joggle Lake and I'm all excited. And I got my shoes on, but no socks on. And he says, Phil, go put your socks on. I was like, okay, okay. So we all get in the van, big red van, six kids, mom and dad. And before he pulls out of the driveway, he's like, Philip, you put your socks on? I'm like, well, dad, I was bit. Did you put your socks on? No, get out of the van. <laughs> so I get out of the van and my mom's like, Mike, what are you doing? And he's like, we're leaving. And they closed the door and left. <laughs> so they went to the amusement park as a family for the day. I was nine. 
I was, I was single digits. I was nine or younger. I wasn't, I wasn't even 10 because we moved oh when I was God. nine. I was locked out of the house because they locked the house. So we had a little kid's trampoline in the backyard. So I played by myself on the trampoline for about nine hours. <laughs> and then when they got home, my dad says to me, first thing he says, you can put your socks on next time. Yeah, dad, I'll put my socks on. Okay. All right. And he's like, by the way, we all had a really good time. <laughs> That was locked out of the house. Holy cow. Well, see, folks, this is this is but how you normal. train. That was normal. Oh, yeah. This is how you train for an F-18 fighter pilot. <laughs> you do things like this, too. No, I remember one time we were all on the buses and we went someplace. Maybe it was Cedar Point. And one of the kids and I don't know who it was. One of the kids, we were about halfway home and somebody said, where's so and so? And they we started checking and we couldn't. We, he was he was not on the bus. So we're thinking, oh, we left him in McDonald's. And this was like three hours away. So one group went back and sure enough, he was there. He climbed up in a tree because whoever his dad was or mom says, if you're, if you're scared and worried about it, climb up in a tree because they'll call the fire department to get you out and you'll be safe. Uh, who knows that logic? And that's why he was sitting in a tree and everybody's trying to get him out. The fire trucks were there. He wouldn't come down. And then when the parents showed up, that's our kid. Yeah, that's. Uh, I think just about every one of my aunts and uncles have left one of those because there was 30 or 40. Oh, yeah. You know, we had a lot cousins. of kids. Yeah. So keeping track of them was, you know, wasn't easy. No. So if you lose one out of six, it's not bad. Yeah. You still got others. You're still bad. And yeah. You're still. Yeah. 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 Guys, you just remember one thing. The family back home is going to listen to this show. So I just want you all to know what's going on here. Uh, this is the g-rated version yeah oh yeah yeah there's there's some other ones that we won't yeah. get into now it was great growing up though man you know if we we want to play you know like football you know thanksgiving we have football yeah. we'd, we'd have an offense a defense and cheerleaders all family yeah. members yeah and it was great it was a good time yeah but odell to get back to to your question before uh gosh i can't remember what it was <laughs> 10 minutes ago before I we started know, telling stories i mean you're like um the fly guy, you're flying all around the world. You're doing all these things. And what was the journey like? What was the journey? Oh, so from, it was boot camp. From no socks that's, that's to what flying. Happened. Okay, yeah. so no socks. And you had mentioned boot Folks, camp. Folks, we've lost control yeah, of this yeah. podcast Train now. Is this, off is, the this is on a yeah. autopilot, and we're not sure where it's going. <laughs> uh, so, no, Odell, you had mentioned your, the gentleman you're writing the book with, that you wrote the book with, Marine, boxing champ, and he had some boot camp stories. That's where then we, Bill and I took it off in <laughs> outer space. <laughs> No, so that was, uh, we were talking about boot camp for officers. It's called Officer Candidate School or OCS is the acronym we, we refer to. And I was lucky, and I say lucky to have, you know, aside from my dad, who is a, a great leader, a great influence, and a great example, the next most influential men in my life, hands down, second to none, were all black. And there was four of them. Really? And they were. 2005 Alpha Company 4th Platoon, our platoon staff at OCS. And your platoon staff is- What is OCS? OCS is Officer Candidate School. Okay. So it's just, just think boot camp for officers. Okay. It's a little bit different than your enlisted boot camp, like your Paris Island or your Marine Recruit Depot San Diego. It's more phased into the leadership where you're given responsibilities and tasks and they evaluate how well you handle them. So you might be given a team of four people and here's a little mission, then a team of 12 people and then a team of 30 and that type of thing. And they evaluate you. Well, anyway, Odell, you'll appreciate this story. So there's this day of boot camp, and I'll just call it boot camp instead of OCS. Either way is fine. It's called pickup. It's when you meet your platoon staff. 
And it's usually on the third or fourth day. So when you show up in Quantico, Virginia, the first day or two is just admin. You're doing paperwork, medical, that type of stuff. And they file you into this. It's an old hanger. We call it a case bin, old hangers. Think of it like a half circle uh, type building, really old World War II style. And along the walls on the left and right side are groups of four men, four Marines, in their one of their service uniforms, all prim, proper, looking like a million bucks. And all the candidates, all of us, there was, gosh, I think there was about 250 of us, were in our seats. And the colonel, you know, who's leading, he's the commanding officer of Officer Candidate School, gets up, gives a little speech, and then he introduces the platoon staff. So me and all the other guys were kind of looking at these groups of guys and kind of evaluating, you know, who, who looks mean, who's tough, who's going to be a walk in the park. And I'm like, who's a good looking black, yeah, man. who's a good looking black, you know? So there was this, I, I remember this one platoon had this tall, super tall, skinny white guy with glass. I'm like, that guy just looks soft. And then <laughs> a short, real stocky, you know, Hispanic dude. I'm like that, you know, and I'm, we had already known that we were going to be in my group, the fourth platoon. So you could count, you could just figure group one, group two, group three. So I count and I look at the first group. Those guys don't look too bad. Second group, third group. And then I look at the fourth group and it's four black dudes. And I'm like, no way, man, that's not us. And I, I count again. I'm like, one, two, three. I was like, all right, <laughs> that's it. And I look at these guys and I'm like, man, those dudes look tough, mean. <laughs> and hands down to this day, they are some of the best people I've ever been blessed to work with. And also, hands down, at the same time, the meanest four people I've ever met, uh, and for a good reason. So they were just savages. They were awesome. But so when you know they go up, they introduce, hey, first platoon, the staff introduces themselves, second platoon, third platoon, and then fourth platoon goes up. And then after all the platoons are introduced, the commanding officer says, you know, basically says, hey, take charge of your platoons, carry out the plan of the day. And as soon as he's done with that order, the world explodes and the room, which was calm 10 seconds ago, turns into absolute chaos. Chairs and tables are flipped upside down, thrown across the room and your world and your life just, (laughs) I mean, it just exploded. And so for the next 10 weeks, uh, these four individuals, these four, uh, there's three enlisted Marines, a gunny, two staff sergeants and a captain made my life a living hell intentionally and you know the rest of the guys in our platoon but at the same time taught me some of the most if not the most important lessons anyone can ever learn in life wow and those guys still to this day and i've run into them on occasion and it's funny because they see you you were a candidate i was candidate global Uh and they called me candidate global ada global because they're not going to say your name intentionally yeah yeah and odell these are the same guys a little funny story wouldn't we even get mail so they get mail so my girlfriend at the time would bake chocolate chip cookies and she'd wrap them up, you know, plastic bag, like keep them nice airtight. So they're still nice and soft and they open your mail in front of you. So I got this box of chocolate chip cookies. So the one gunny gunnery sergeant Stewart, he's opening up the, and he's literally like six inches from my face and he's opening up this box of chocolate chip cookies. He's like, oh man, you got some chocolate chip cookies. And he opens up, he's like, and he just starts eating them. <laughs> and he's he's maintaining eye contact while he's eating. He's just in right in front of my face, and he eats every single chocolate chip cookie. And he's like, "Tell your girlfriend wow. some more." And then he wa- <laughs> and then he walks wow. away. Uh, and another wow. another buddy of mine who I'm, I'm still real close with, his older brother would send him Air Force recruiting mail at Marine Corps OCS. 
So he would get Air Force recruiting letters and join the Air Force, all this stuff. And his brother knew it. Oh, he got he, he got, got some, some special he got, attention. Yeah. Special well, if I'd have known he was going to be doing stuff, here, I'd have probably sent like ghost peppers or something for you. So he'd have to eat them in front of you. Oh, it was. Yeah. Or yeah, they, they ate all the good stuff. Yeah. Hey, well, I, I do have a question. Yeah. Uh, uh, once you were going through this uh, training, did you wear your socks? I wore my socks. Okay. I did. I wore my socks. I learned that lesson. Yeah. yeah wore my you, know, <laughs> so, you know, it's interesting. I, I never had the pleasure of serving in the military. But, you know, we used to look at this show called Gomer Powell. Yeah. You know, so what you're talking about, Phil, it's nothing like Gomer Powell, not at all. So this thing was real. So how did you feel with these um, not strangers, stranger black men yelling at you, eating your girlfriend's cookies, all this kind of stuff? Was that your first time really being exposed to black males? No. So I, I got a chance to go to one high school, get kicked out and then go to another one. So. I got to share my, my high school time at two different places, both very diverse. So I had friends in high school that were black, that were Hispanic, uh, they were Arab, all different mixes and, you know, fair share of white dudes as well. So it wasn't my first time interacting or having friends that weren't white, but it was my first time getting my soul crushed on a daily basis, you know, by some dude who is just a gigantic human. And so, no, I, I, I was lucky enough to have some experiences that were pretty diverse and then playing hockey growing up and playing hockey in college, there were three black guys on my hockey team in college, which is, I mean, that was the whole league. We had all three on our team and they're awesome. Dudes. Yeah, they're all yeah, really good exactly. hockey players. Hey, hey, Odell, when they talk about playing hockey, they are playing hockey. Uh, the family, his family owns the Cleveland Barons and own their own ice skating ring. And wow. one of his cousins, Tommy Goble, uh, used to play professional hockey i think in italy right he played yeah he played professional actually in south carolina for the stingrays in charleston your old town odell yeah and then also in uh yeah in italy did he really yep. oh, okay yeah. I, I didn't know about the south carolina yeah, I knew about the italy. and he's not a big guy no he's not but yeah. he's extremely talented very fast is he fa yeah. very very fast yeah i you know you talk about fast you know when i was growing up um these guys were all little probably two to six years old and we went to geauga lake was Geauga Lake the one with the big slide? That was Chippewa Lake, maybe. Geauga Lake, more water park. Yeah, this was yeah. a big slide. And uh, we were, you know, taking the little kids and just in the water, throwing them out into the water. And, yeah, throw me now, Uncle Bill. And, you know, so we're doing it. And then um, we played a game that can you keep Uncle Bill from getting out of the water? And so I would run up and down the the the, the shore, and these kids would be chasing me. And I, I tried to get out of the water. And I suddenly realized that we had a large number of little, little kids when I had two on each arm, two on each leg, one hanging on my arm, and I could not get out of the water. They, they had me so tied up and it, but we had more fun. Oh God, growing up with these young guys, but you know, to see, see you guys turn out the way you did, uh, is just amazing because many times your dad and I would sit around and go, I don't know. Yeah, I know about that. One. I don't know about that. I don't one. know about that one. I'm not sure that one's going to make it. We might yeah. be going to prison to visit this boy. Yep. <laughs> Wait a minute, Bill. Wait, but 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 Phil, the Marines. The Marines. You, the proud, the Marines, first to fight. I mean, what's that? What? what I'm gonna say it wrong. Simplified. How do you yeah, say? No, it? that's right. Simplified, short for semper fidelis, means always faithful. It's Latin for always faithful. And how do you say it? Is it hoorah? How do you say it? Oh, there's a, so we, there's a lot of ones. The the serious one is hoorah, but there's a lot of that. I don't really say that one. The ones I usually say are sarcastic. So an example would be, you know, Odell, someone comes up to you and says, hey, Odell, we're going to go on a, a midnight 
15 mile hump. You're like, rah, <laughs> really excited. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for sharing, man. Let's go. This is going to be a blast. Yeah, so it's more up. sarcastic than anything. Yeah. Well, you know, here, here's the thing, Odell, uh, you know, he's an F 18 fighter pilot and his dad was mom. We're so proud of you. They sent me pictures of you, uh, landing on aircraft carriers at night with no lights and, and meeting you down at South Carolina. I think it was spoke, maybe it was South Carolina. Yeah. Buford. Buford. Yeah. And, uh, but, uh, the thing is, you know, the fighter pilots have these macho nicknames. Oh yeah. Right. <laughs> you know what this guy's is? No. What, what is it, Bill? Susan. <laughs> Wait a minute. No, 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 no. <laughs> no. Okay. Help me, Bill. Help me, Susan. Susan, I mean, yeah. You see this guy with the with the sunglasses. I mean, with the shades on and the cool guys with the bomber jackets and Top gun. all this kind of stuff. No, Susan. It's uh, in the Marine Corps. You don't get a call sign for doing anything good, so you don't get a nothing you're proud of. And uh, I have a story that you know for another day, Odell. When we're in person over a beer, or, you know, hanging out, having dinner or something, I'll tell you the story. But uh, I have been Susan for. Gosh, over a decade now. And some of my other friends, uh, yeah, their call signs, we'll keep them off, off the air. Well, you yeah. know, the, he had, if you go to his podcast, The Ready Room. Ready Room Podcast. podcast the, the one I listened to was Barf. Yeah, Barf. Yeah, yeah. that's his nickname. Yeah, Barf. His yeah. call sign's Barf. And yeah. he worked at the White House. And he's an awesome, awesome, yeah, awesome Yeah, he worked American. in the White House. He worked for uh, Secretary of Defense. Which one was uh, General it? Mattis. General Mattis. Yeah. He was on his chief of staff. Yeah. And came from wow. Parma. Came from Parma. Yeah, actually, another Cleveland boy. Yeah, he was. Uh, They're all over. Yeah. <laughs> but no, Susan no. is what I got, Odell. And I wish I had something more like cooler to say, you know, laser or, or Viper or something. It's <laughs> no, it's not even close. Susan. And that's actually pretty well, good. Some of my buddies have some worse ones. Well, Dale, I'm, I'm trying to think what your call sign would be if you're an F-18 pilot, fighter pilot. You think it would be good looking? The good looking black guy, of course. <laughs> but just an F-18 fighter pilot. Help help the audience understand, Phil, what's that all about? Because some of us are afraid of heights, you know? Help help us with all that. So it's uh have you seen the Blue Angels, Odell? Yes. Okay, so if you don't speak airplane, everyone speaks the Blue Angels. They've seen them or seen pictures. Uh that's an F-18. So that's what I flew, lucky enough to fly it. And it's a it's a lot of fun. It's a Ferrari that goes really fast and has toys. It has toys. It can do some pretty gnarly things. So I wish I could put it in a shot glass and share it with people and say, hey, try this. This is this is what it's like. You can't. But if you if you combined the best roller coaster you've been on with the best, you know, beer or whiskey you've ever had with the prettiest girl you've ever dated, and put it on a little in a blend. That's that's the closest thing I can come up. You know, with that sounds like my life with Dory. You know what? Stop it, Bill. You're going to get out of trouble. Listen, Odell, he also ran tanks. What what kind of tank did you run? So I didn't I didn't run the tank. My my very small role on the tank was a loader. Okay, so I was in charge. Tell us about that. So, Odell, when I was in Beaufort, uh, so I was down there for 11 years. I got to take off for a year to go to North Carolina. And I did uh, what's called a Ford Air Controller tour with 2nd Tank Battalion in Camp Lejeune, North Carolina. And a Ford Air Controller is just think of a guy on a radio who calls in airstrikes on bad guys. And you can do that on foot. You can do it in a truck, but you can also do it on a tank. And I was lucky enough to do it in a tank. So I was in with uh, the tank was an M1A1 Abrams main battle tank. Are they fast? Wow. They wow. actually, with the governor off, um, can go over 70 miles an hour. Oh, 
But the reason they have to have a governor on it, because the treads, it has a turbine engine, it has a helicopter turbine engine that drives it. The treads themselves can't keep up with the actual rotational speed. Uh, so they can potentially shear. So what they do is they, they, they keep a governor on it, limit it. But if you wanted to take the gloves off an Abrams, it'll, it'll take you down the highway. Wow. Yeah. How many miles per gallon do you get with something like that? So the Abrams, the one I was with, weighed 140,000 pounds, so 70 tons. <laughs> and it, the gas price, it wasn't exactly a, a hybrid car. <laughs> we didn't really get too far, but they were, you would get a few hundred miles before you needed to refill. Oh, wow. Uh, I had tons of different capabilities. And my, my real small job was when there was a round that needed to be put down range at a target. Uh, my job was to take whatever type of round the tank commander called for and load it and just, and then get out of the way. And that's it. Well, yeah, how, how close well, was it when it shot? Yeah. So the Abrams can pick off targets from uh, the specifics. It's been a few years, but a mile away, not a problem. So a moving target a mile away, not a problem. So people say, have you been to theater? I've heard that. I had one of my mentors, uh, Uncle Henry, was a four-star uh, in the Army. Uh, Lieutenant, I, I don't know the term, so I'm not going to mess it up. I need to look it up. Um, were you in combat? Oh, I was. I've been over, got a chance to go overseas uh, a few times. Okay. Now, for those of us who've never been in the military, we're like, oh, tell me about combat. For those people who've been in combat, it's like, no, nah, you don't understand. It ain't that simple. Because when I was writing the book with Jamel, he talks about post-traumatic stress syndrome. He talks about how um, people over in Iraq and Iran, he had two, two tours over there, and how people don't make it home. He talked about all that. How do you feel sometime when you have risked your life and those of us here sitting on our butts like me, sometimes you think we don't always value the freedom that we have or we take it for granted? So good question. And for me personally, it's really difficult to ask someone to understand something and have a similar perspective if they've never been there. It's even harder to describe what it's like. So for me to expect you, Odell, to have a similar perspective, a similar appreciation and empathize with what that experience is like, having never been there and, and hopefully never experiencing anything even similar in, in your life, it, you can't, there's no fault. There's no, no harm, no foul. It's not a big deal. Uh, it's, I never took it personally. And for the most part, everybody, I, I've had good experiences with people, um, you know, thank you for your service, being real respectful and that type of thing. But you can't, you can't hold someone accountable for something that they are physically incapable of appreciating or, or at least appreciating, maybe not the right word, maybe even imagining what it's like and expecting a certain reaction from them. So no harm, no foul. It's, it's not a big deal. And I'm happy to do it for no reaction at all. And so are the rest of my, my, the gals and guys I was with. Uh, it's a ton of fun. I had a blast doing it. Thanks for paying your taxes because you, you paid, you know, for my gasoline and jet fuel and everything. <laughs> so thank you guys for doing that. So but, no, it was no but, problem at all. When I see the evacuation of Afghanistan and the pilots and the people are running and the, and the people are holding on to, and I know that was an F-16, of course, those big jumbos. It's like, I don't know. I mean, and then they're falling out of the sky. What did you think when you saw that as a pilot? It's hard to watch. It's heartbreaking. You wish that there would have been better procedures put in place and 
organization set up so that wasn't the conclusion and it's easy to armchair quarterback things you know here right hanging out right. drinking a bourbon in, in greensboro north carolina so it's heartbreaking and you you hope that nobody ever gets to experience that um i have mutual friends who had a chance to actually fly who flew some of those missions and that was a c-17 wow. Uh, wow. Air Force uh, transport aircraft, big aircraft, really cool aircraft. But they were doing their mission. They were executing what they had to do. And the fact that the situation deteriorated to the point that it did where people were hanging on to aircraft and that type of thing, where it was so desperate, that's not something you any of us can imagine. You want to leave a place so bad for some other option, wherever it is, that you'll literally try to climb onto an aircraft. I've never been in that type of dire straits before. So very hard to watch, uh, and hopefully, uh, I can only hope that the lessons learned from that experience and what led to that experience are taken into account and applied should any situation like that potentially arise in the future. So I hope people don't forget about it and remember that, hey, there's probably some things we could have done better, and we can apply those lessons next time. Have you ever seen the movie Soul Plane? I have not. <laughs> Okay, it's a movie called Soul Plane with Snoop Dogg in uh, in the cockpit. Uh, he's the pilot. He's driving the plane, smoking a joint, and doing all that kind of stuff. And the plane has uh, lifters on it and all this kind of stuff. It's just it's just interesting. Bill, I don't know why I went that way. It's on you, Bill. Well, you know, you, as, as I'm listening here, I, I want to go back to that tank thing for a minute. Uh, so you can hit something a mile away that's moving. Yeah, not me. The actual gunner, the gunner, gunner or the tank commander can shoot. Yeah, Odell, I'm thinking we need one of these for your deer hunting, so you can get that now, deer. Now, Bill. Okay, now, now, Bill, you're a fan of the show, and I thank you. Odell's a good-looking black guy who's usually a pretty good shot, but it's this thing called buck fever, and I I thought I had it. I thought I had buck fever down pat, but it had me. He had a black so, eye on the scope. Yep. Up close. Yep. Oh, man. Oh, man. <laughs> I know exactly. I know. Yeah. Been there. Been there. Absolutely. Yeah. Buck fever is a real thing. It's a real thing. It, it, I've got my, I got my big deer hanging downstairs at their hunt camp. They, they actually uh, watch them on uh, deer cams and they name them. I think I got Dakota, D Daytona or Cincinnati. One of them. I one of the something like yeah, that. Yeah. And I got in trouble because they were, they, I was too soon to, to harvest him, I guess. But uh, anyhow, hey, Philip, I did want you to share uh, a war story, okay? Uh, maybe a combat mission, uh, something that would, you know, be of interest to our, our folks that is declassified that you can say? Okay, declassified. So there's, there's one um, that was uh, pretty memorable. So it, as a pilot, you the perspective we fly at at 15, 20, 25,000 feet, you're you're not up close and personal with the guys on the ground. You can see them and watch them. And we talk with them and via various means of sensors, we'll call them. Uh, you, you keep an eye on them. And sometimes you, you go through a mission, you execute an attack, you employ, and you don't necessarily see what the results were officially or how it affected the follow-on missions or things like that. Uh, so I was lucky enough to be a part of a mission. Uh, this is a few years ago. And we were in northern Iraq in the town of Mosul. So we were flying over northern Iraq. And there was a situation developed pretty quickly where uh, U.S. forces and allied forces, because they worked with multiple different countries, uh, they were taking casualties. So there was a 
a mobile artillery piece called a D-30. And if you Google it, it looks like a tank with a big barrel on the top. And it's, mm-hmm. so it's a, a D-30. And to pull it in perspective, uh, Odell, like the bullet, the round from a D-30 is a little bit bigger than a wine bottle. So it can do some damage. And mm-hmm. there were American guys and allies that had taken some casualties and the D 30 piece was shooting rounds and they were effective fire. It was, they were on target these rounds. So I was with uh, another flight. So I was, my dash two and I showed up on station and this D 30 with this other truck, we called it a bongo truck. If you think of a, a flatbed semi truck with a bunch of bombs in the back, a bunch of rounds. So it was the ammunition truck and they were working together. So they would drive together, shoot, reload, drive a little bit, shoot, reload, and kind of tag team, leapfrog back and forth. And they were doing, they were moving all different directions, north, south, east, west, all over the place. And so the JTAC, the Joint Terminal Attack Controller, who is the guy uh, on the ground, he requested a bomb to be put on this D-30 piece. And uh, the aircraft I was flying, uh, we had the weapons that were very specific for moving targets. So via some average piling skills and, and some Good work with the JTAC and working with my Dash 2. What's a Dash 2? Uh, my wingman. We okay. just call him Dash 2. Yeah, okay. my wingman. So it made sense uh, just based on the geometry of the attack. Hey, hey Philip. Yeah. Bill is my wingman. Bill is my wingman. Just okay, so got know, it. Bill I'm is a, my no, Dash 2 now. No, I'm a Go Dash ahead. 3. You guys, hey, I'm you a can, Dash 3, baby. <laughs> on, the, on the next step, I expect to be hearing, hey, I'm here with Dash 2, Bill Goble. This is Odell, the good-looking black guy. I, I want to so, get his, I'm getting his call. My Dash sure. 2. Yeah. yeah. Um, but so the... Uh, it, it turned into a pretty dynamic um, attack, and normally it's relatively calm. The The voices on the radio, it's important to be calm, even if your heart's beating 5,000 beats a minute. The JTAC went from being very calm to being very adamant and very assertive, and essentially took all the required com- communication and checklist items that we normally execute prior to an attack. And he listened, he essentially said, hey, dude, I need your bomb. I need an owl. Make this happen with some words mixed up in there and okay. So I got the point really quick. So we, we picked up the pace and uh, executed some really, really good teamwork. Um, I dropped the weapon and it, it was a laser guided weapon. Uh, it's a combination of GPS guided and laser guided. So I dropped the, the weapon and my dash two, uh, my wingman, he maintained overhead the target and actually lased uh, the weapon in. So we had a, a direct hit on the mobile D-30 piece, the mobile artillery piece. And then shortly after, within a few seconds, the bongo truck, the ammunition truck, that was probably about 50, 60 yards away. It exploded from the secondary. So after the artillery wow. place exploded, the bongo truck exploded and it went, it made the actual initial bomb impact look like, you know, like a small, tiny little puff this whole semi truck of ammunition exploded and the JTAC on the radio immediately was, Hey, good hits, good hits, good hits. Oh my God. And immediately after, uh, so the, the friendlies, the American forces and the allies, they had, they stopped taking fire. So that was a great experience. It was life. You know, maybe, um, I don't want to, we were just doing what we're there to do. And, but it, it was more or less the, it was successful because of the, just the teamwork, that was executed. Um, I just hit a red button. I was pointing my aircraft in a, a direction, hit a red button, a bomb came off, and my Dash 2 uh, did a really good job lazing it in. So 
it was cool to see your your efforts have an immediate impact. Uh, that doesn't always happen. Yeah. So that was that was nice. It was memorable, and uh, we we're just lucky to be a part of it. Wow. Now, have you landed on an aircraft carrier at night without lights? Uh, yeah, yeah. Actually, with lights, I kept my lights on uh-huh. because the first thing you do when you land is turn your lights off. Ah. And if you don't turn your lights off, you get chewed out. Ah. Yeah, that's bad. Because you're showing where the aircraft carrier is. Well, the aircraft carrier is not super hard to find. Um, it's kind of big. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if you're really looking, you could find it. Uh, it's not that hard. And if you can't find the aircraft carrier, you just you just pick any of the, the 15 aircraft that are flying around it in a circle <laughs> yeah. over one spot the in the ocean. Yeah, the beehive. <laughs> Why are there 15 aircraft in a circle and, and they're disappearing into the ocean? <laughs> I wonder what's over there. Yeah. Uh, but no, yeah, it's actually part of the procedure is you fly with your lights on. And after you catch a wire, after you trap, the first thing you do when you bring the throttles back is you turn your lights on. And there's this, it's called, it's a little bit of a double dare is, uh, they call it riding the bull. And, you know, in PBR, professional bull riding, you have to ride for eight seconds or more. So eight seconds is the magic number. Well, we had this old double dare, like, let's say I'm landing or Odell, you're landing. Odell lands, catches the trap and he brings his throttles back, but he forgets to turn his lights off immediately after, I mean, within a second, you're going to hear lights on deck. That's coming from the air boss, the guy who this, the voice of God, you'll hear this (laughs) voice of God come out that says lights on deck. And Odell, if you can keep the lights on for eight more seconds, before he goes crazy, eight more seconds, (laughs) you have ridden the bull. And I've never seen it happen. I've heard stories, Uh, but usually it's from somebody who's so nervous after they land at night. And it's usually, you know, within the first few times they're doing it, they're so nervous. They're just getting their heart rate back under control, stopping their shakes, breathing, realizing they're not dead that they finally are like, oh, my lights are still on. And it's been 30 seconds. <laughs> it's like your blinker. Exactly. Your blinker. It's like your blinker. Yeah, it's just, yeah, that's all. So yeah, I, I, I've been lucky enough to do that. What adrenaline, you know that you're risking your life, right? Yeah, but I, you don't think about that. You know, I wouldn't be very good at it if you're worried about all the bad stuff that can happen because there's plenty of it. If you really want to list out all the potential hazards, uh, it's more fun than it is scary. It is so much fun. And, and that just outweighs it. And we, you, you have to have a, the humor is strong in, in the military. It's more, I think it's a requirement is the, the dark humor is, is yeah. everywhere. Oh, yeah. yeah. You guys, as a yeah. team, you guys yeah. got to be, I listen to his ready room. These people aren't right. They got some, they, they got some <laughs> things going on and I'm like, holy cow. This is this, does this really happen? Yeah. And, and it does happen. It does happen. You know, uh, Phillip's giving me pictures of him in the cockpit uh, being refueled in, in midair, which has got to be another exciting thing. Finding, finding uh, an airplane flying and then hooking up. Yeah. And, gas and, and hope you, yeah, flying gas station. Flying gas station. Now, what's the longest? Did you fly back from Afghanistan? So I flew back from, uh, so it wasn't Afghanistan. We were flying missions in uh, Iraq and Syria. Okay. So in, our base was in Bahrain, which is uh, so you flew back from there. Yeah, yeah. How did you have to stop at all to get? Yeah, we would stop in. We did two stops: uh, Greece mm-hmm. for one, uh, and then we would stop in Portugal in the Azores uh, mm-hmm. group yeah. of islands off the coast of Portugal. I've been in the Azores. I stopped there to get fuel on my way to South Africa. Yeah, and there were a ton of military. Planes. Oh yeah, it's, there's a it's a it's a stopping point for most aircraft on their way to theater. Yeah. Yeah. It was amazing. And and believe it or not, there were some Russian jets there. I was kind of shocked. No kidding. Yeah. When I did it, this was uh, quite a number of years ago. Well, we're getting near the end and uh, we always give our, our guests, if they want something they want to say, 
Uh, you want to talk about uh, anything, it's it's up to you. And then Odell, I'd like you to for hey Charles. Yeah. Hey Charles, you're yeah, let me Charles, hear. Charles Gardner, you're listening. He's gonna do the Geechee prayer for you when we're done. Okay, cool. Okay, cool. And I think Odell has maybe not. Odell probably has to go down and do what he had to do. So go ahead. No worries. Let's close this up. Uh well, again, thanks. This has been a lot of fun. So I appreciate it. And and hopefully. I don't know if, if anything Trips. I said resonated. Yes, yeah, with the grazie. Yeah. Uh, if anything I said was, I guess if there was somebody listening, if there was a takeaway from this, any type of lesson, um, I would say your perspective on things uh, can change if you give it a chance. Mm-hmm. And if you're taught one thing, maybe it's the right thing, maybe it's the wrong thing. Uh, don't be afraid to look at something from a different perspective. And I would say have those conversations with people that don't look like you have conversations with people that don't agree with you. And when it comes to those conversations, if there's one thing you can remember before going into it is that maybe I could learn something from this person. It turns out to be a lot more fun, a lot more relaxing. And the one thing I've found that we're, cause I have a lot of friends of Different colors, makes creeds, orientations, the mix. And in the Marine Corps, it was awesome to have people of every race, color, religion, creed, orientation. I mean, it, just a hodgepodge melting pot of the most awesome Americans you can imagine that are so much fun. The one thing that was consistent amongst all of us was that we could always drink a beer together. Mm. And if there was ever something that I learned that brought people together, you know, if we disagree on everything. So if I was looking for uncommon ground, it's really easy to find. You know, we yeah. probably all got different favorite ice creams. You know, you could ask 10 questions and we got 10 disagreements between the three of us right away. The one thing I have found that has been consistently always common that people always agree with is a good meal you like to eat. and a tasty beverage and together. Mm. So. And, and quick side story uh, about this, I was just just returned from Italy. And I had an amazing experience, was there for language school. The coolest thing about the experience was the cultural mix that I got a chance to work with. So I was the oldest guy in the class. I'm 40. The rest of the students are actual 22, 23, 24-year-old college students who speak three, four, and five different languages. And then there's me. And we had 21 different countries in the class. Wow. Amazing. And then there's the the 40-year-old American who can barely speak English in the back trying to learn Italian. So the people who helped me out, who took me under their wing, were a Muslim from Libya, a dude from Japan, and a girl from a, a lawyer from Venezuela who grew up under communism. Wow. They were like, hey, Filippo, you need help. I'm like, yeah, I know. <laughs> so before class, we would get coffee. We'd go watch soccer and, and hang out. And every Friday, this is, this is kind of the moral of the story, it's the, the bringing common ground, getting people together, all different people from all different backgrounds, colors, we'd go to this little pub on Fridays and hang out and have a beer or coffee. And the one Friday we went, and this was so cool. So you got, we had a girl from Sri Lanka. So we also had a girl from Venezuela, a Muslim from Libya, a dude from Japan, three Catholic priests from Croatia and a dude from America. And we're all hanging out (laughs) talking in Italian about all different topics, different religions, different cultures, different backgrounds, different everything, different recipes, different you know price tickets for airplanes. And it was I did my best to just shut up and sit back and listen because it was amazing to watch a Catholic priest 
talk to a Libyan Muslim about coffee and communism and Croatia and the history of Croatia and all these things. So this was a, uh, the common ground was we're all there for, to learn a language, to learn Italian. But the thing that kind of brought us together was when I said, hey, let's go get a beer. Everybody was like, let's do it. And if I would have said, hey, let's go get, let's go get a meal. Everybody would have said, let's do it. So that's the one thing I found in my luck is if, if I say, hey, come on over. The rules are be respectful. I don't care who you are, what you look like, what you do, doesn't matter. Be respectful. Bring dessert. And if you really want to win hearts and minds, you know, bring a bottle of wine or a bottle of whiskey. Yeah, bring chocolate. Bring chocolate, yeah, too. Yeah. So I hope that uh, yeah, that's good. Excellent. That, that helped me. Now, Phil, question for you. Now, you're, you're 40 years old. Uncle Bill is 72, right? Yeah. He talked about his eyes viewing you as a child. What do you think when you heard about Uncle Bill is hanging out with a good looking black guy doing this <laughs> podcast? How did you even process that? I thought when I, when I first heard about it, I was like, okay, you know, and it's one thing to, you know, most dudes are 72. Don't start a podcast. And, you know, and Odell, what are you, what are you 30, 35? <laughs> no, no, no. 61, 61. All right, man. So, <laughs> you know, this is, this is really cool. You guys have taken on a new mission that is absolutely valid, especially today. And you're living proof of what I think, man, if there are people who want to listen to something, just listen to this and just, it's a, it's a case study and an example of, gosh, man, I mean, you guys can disagree on everything, but guess what, man? Hey, there's chicken and waffles cooking. Oh yeah. Uh, Amen. You know, we got bourbon, something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's Fried go. Chicken, hey, baby. let's, let's, let's quit running our second. <laughs> let's go get some food, that kind of thing. Yeah. But no, I was really excited to hear you guys doing this. And when I listened to the first few episodes, I was like, damn. And also it's got some personality. You got, I mean, uh-huh. a good looking white dude, good looking black dude hanging out. <laughs> and if anybody forgets, Odell's going to remind him there's a good looking black dude on the show. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it's fantastic. And I, I wish the, I hope the rest of America catches on and just follows your lead because it doesn't matter if I disagree with you about whatever ice cream or anything else. If we can share a beer together, friends for life. Amen. Amen. Odell, close us out. The Geechee. Now, now, Phil, as you know, you've listened to the show. And who's the young man again? Charles, Phil, I'm Gardner. Sorry. Charles Gardner. We're doing this in honor of Charles. I am a black person who came to this country. My ancestors came to this country as slaves. So we learned how to survive. And it's a Charleston, South Carolina is a language called Geechee Gullah type language. And this is from a prayer from my wife's great grandmother and the prayer goes like this you know what i down ya fa i ain't got to tell ya and phil what she's saying is god you know why i'm down here on my knees i do not have to explain it to you and sometimes that's as simple as when we talk to god it's just simple when we talk to each other it's simple and that's the essence of common ground let's just be ourselves let's have fun Let's not judge each other. Let's find those things like you stated, sir. We could always find something to disagree on. Let's find something we agree on. And I believe that if we start off incrementally, that we agree on 15% of things and we disagree on 85% over time, over a good meal, over a beverage, over just guess who's coming to dinner, the 15 to go to 18. And over time, it'll go to another 
place, but we'll never agree on everything. But I just want to say thank you, Bill, for coming today. You know, Bill brags on you like you're his son. He brags on you. So I just want to let you know you're his hero. He brags on you like crazy. My nephew's coming. He's coming. He's coming. He's coming. He's coming. And guess what? You're well as advertised, my friend. I just want to thank you for coming on our show. Bill, these Gobels got some good genes, huh? Yeah, there's a couple of them out there I'm a little worried about, but we got a couple of winners. We do. And Odell, <laughs> this is a formal invite on the air. You got to come up for Christmas or, or, or a clam bake or a fish fry. Play some cards. Hang out around the fire, man. How about the Christmas party at the ice skating rink? Yeah. Come on up for yeah, that, because then he, we could fly up for that. And he can come to that at the ice skate. You ever ice skate, Odell? Nah, nah. Black folk don't do ice skating. <laughs> you don't do that ice fishing and ice skating and all that. So by me coming to Parma, that increased the black population by how much? One. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, I love you all. It's great seeing you. Phil, thank you so much. And again, thank you for blessing us. Just blessing us, man. Just blessing us. You've been a ball. I love your personality. I just love the way you, you do it. And you got on a cool black guy's hat. A <laughs> black guy's hat. Nah, thanks. Yeah. I'll bring one for you next time, Odell. Thanks a lot, man. Find Bill and Odell online at thecommonground.show. This podcast is a production of BG Ad Group. Darren Sutherland, executive producer. Jeremy Powell, creative director. Jacob Sutherland, director. All rights reserved. Whether you're a big, medium, or small business, managing and growing the bottom line is important. Focus CFO brings the experience and financial acumen of a Fortune 100 chief financial officer to your company at a fraction of the cost. PL help, internal reporting processes, or any business transitions or events. Focus CFO will help you and your team have a CFO in your company's back pocket. Focus CFO. Learn more at focuscfo.com. This podcast is brought to you by Yes Weekly, the triad's largest circulated and best read weekly magazine. You can also find us online at yesweekly.com and on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Yes Weekly, your trusted news leader for local arts, entertainment, music, food, and more for nearly 18 years.